Number 680 is Rejoice in the Lord. Let's start Sunday school by singing Rejoice in the Lord. God never moves with a purpose or plan when trying his servant and molding a man. Give thanks to the Lord, though your testing seems long. In darkness he giveth a song. Oh, rejoice in the Lord, he makes no mistake. And of each path that I take, for when I am tried and purified, I shall come forth as gold. So today, or last week, we left off, I, I think, with um, things under things, what angels do, which is Roman numeral four. We were down to letter F, I think. Um, Strengthen, and that's where we're going to start today. Is there any questions that you may have before we get into into the new new material or newer material? Any anything about the angel study thus far that I can have confused you on that that maybe the word has challenged you on or questions that I may or may not be able to answer? Um, anything like that? Have you had good time so far? All right, well, my commitment is to finish next Sunday, okay? I know this is drug out just a little bit longer than we had originally intended, but, but I think we can keep diligent and, and complete it next Sunday, okay? At least that's my hope. Yes, Pat, or Pastor Matt. Did people pray to angels? Probably, I'm sorry. No, remember last week we talked a little bit about the only mediator between man and God is Christ Jesus. Okay? So even though angels minister to us, they are not our mediator before God. Okay? So we have to remember that. Go ahead. How about the evil angels? I know that's, that's not part of the study today, per se. Not per se today. We are going to talk a little bit about fallen angels next week. Now, I think I mentioned before that I'm not willing to give fallen angels title billing. Okay? So we're going to talk a little bit about them. It is not intended next week to be a deep end study on demonology, but we do have to mention them. It is, and in the um, the only reference I can think of, just right off the top, is is the seventy some disciples that went out, and then when they came, that Jesus sent out, and they came back, and they talked, and they reported back to Jesus that even the demons listened to them in the name of Jesus. Now, there's other opportunities where Jesus told them. They said, well, what's wrong? We can't, we can't exercise these demons or they're not 
listening to us, basically. And I, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not coming up with the references right at the moment, but, but what did Jesus say to them? These demons are, only come out by fasting and prayer. And in other words, they weren't efficient enough or they weren't in a place of spiritual maturity enough to be able to wield that power even in Jesus' name. So, um, is that... They absolutely are. <laughs> sure. Um, no, it's not. And yet we do have some authority in the name of Jesus, right? Wouldn't you agree? Mm-hmm. Okay. Strength. Mm-hmm. Well, and and what I what I was getting at with, with and and when I listed out these things that angels do, I was focusing upon the things that the the good angels, if you want to call them that, do. Okay. And and so I I didn't approach that subject yet. I I will make sure we we uh, visit it again next week. How about that? Okay. Any any other questions about that? I know maybe that's not where we intended to go, but you know sometimes the spirit takes us on little side paths that that um, help us to learn things that are necessary right away. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and remember um, that man is created just a little below the angels. Okay. And and what are demons and and Satan himself? They're fallen angels. Okay. All right, strengthen. So good angels strengthen. The, the scripture reference I have here is from Luke twenty two forty three. Has anybody recognized that passage or is there yet? Okay, Luke 22 and verse 43. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven and strengthened him. And who is this him? Jesus himself. Remember, he's, he's been in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's been in this agonizing prayer for, for our sakes and for what he's being led to go through. And at the end of that, the angel comes and strengthens him. So we see that one of the ministries that angels, good angels have, is strengthening or encouraging, if you will. Okay? Any questions about that one? The second one is I just alluded to, encouragement. In Acts chapter 27, he encourages the disciple or the apostle Paul. Someone like to read 23 and 24 of chapter 27. Okay, so Paul recognizes a, an angel coming alongside of him and says, be encouraged or do not fear because you're going before Caesar himself. And, and so it's an encouragement um, to, to Paul. Okay? Now they also might be involved in answered prayer at times. Someone take a look at Luke 15.10. Luke 15.10. We've talked about this verse, at least without looking it up a time or two. Okay? So how does that... 
have to do with answer prayer? Well, oftentimes we're praying for sinners, right? We're praying for family members. We're praying for people to come to know the Lord. And when they do, guess what? There's angels in heaven rejoicing at the answered prayer. They're excited about it. Now, the other thing that we've hinted at, I don't know how much, I can't remember if we talked about it in depth or not. I've been through so many of these topics in my mind, but um, the idea that, that um, angels can't experience that same salvation as we do. So they're excited. In fact, that's where you get the concept that they're watching and they're watching worship services. They're, they're watching to see how we interact with our Lord Jesus Christ and with God himself because they don't have that opportunity, have that redemption, that same relationship we have. Okay? What about Acts chapter 12? Someone familiar with this one? 5 through 10, Acts chapter 12, 5 through 10. This is Peter, if I remember right. And what, is, what, is, what has been happening before this? Somebody, can you tell me a little bit about before this? This is actually when Peter is being rescued from jail, right? Okay. But what was going on? What was going on in the upper room? Prayer. Remember, they were fervently praying for, for Peter, and, and, and uh, guess what? Maybe not ex- exactly directly related to their prayer, but they prayed to God. God sent an angel to Peter and got him out of prison, right? That's an exciting thing. Verses 5 through 10 of, of chapter 15 cover that. Questions about that one? What's interesting about that, and we'll talk maybe a little bit about this when we get to the idea of guardian angels, is that when Peter went to the upper room and knocked on the door, and the lady went to the door and said, who is it? It's it's I, Peter. And she goes back, and what does she report? It's Peter's angel that she reports, but who was it actually? It was Peter, okay? So we'll get to see that in a minute, okay? What about Psalm 130, verse 20? Or 103, I'm sorry. I'm dyslexic today as well. 103, verse 20. Okay, verse 20 reads, Blessed, Bless the Lord, you his who? Angels who excel in strength and who do his word, heeding the voice of his word. Remember that angels do not act upon their own accord. They always act under the direction and the will of God himself. Okay? So that makes it even that more special that God cares enough about you to send an angel to strengthen you, to encourage you, however that form that you need that time. God knows enough about you to do that. Now remember we said he doesn't have to. Obviously God is uh, omnipotent. So he could do it all himself, but he has chosen to use his created being, the angels, to minister to us. And so he, they also heed or do according to the word of God. So if you ever get the idea that an angel is telling you to do something outside the word of God, somebody better throw a flag. Say, wait a minute, 
God doesn't contradict himself. He has given the revelation of himself through his word. And so this angel that is bringing a message contrary to the word of God probably better be labeled a fallen angel or a false messenger. Okay, everyone good with that? All right, here's one that is going to be pretty relevant to what we are experiencing in our world today. Daniel chapter 12. And remember, we've been in Daniel a lot because Daniel, for some blessed reason, had a lot of activity with angels. (laughs) A lot of interaction with angels. Daniel chapter 12, verse 1 says, And at that time Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that time. And at that time your people shall be delivered, every one who is found written in the book. So what are we talking about here? Okay, this is Daniel's look ahead, right? He's seeing ahead at the time of Jacob's trouble, of the tribulation period. And he's saying, Michael, the archangel himself, is paying attention to who? Israel. Ultimately, it says God's people, or the sons of your people. So he's looking forward to a time when actually Israel is going to be a nation again. That's why 1948 was such an important time, an important point in eschatology, the study of end times. Because the nation of Israel, the Jews, were gathered back to their original homeland and created a nation, Israel. Okay, And he's talking to a time where they are being looked after by Michael himself. Okay, so what is the implication here? They're watching over the people of Israel. And I had to turn my page, but maybe you didn't. Point number two is also in Daniel chapter 10, verse 21. Okay, and who is he talking to? He's just before that, verse 20, then he said, Do you know why I have come? And I know I must return to fight with the prince of Persia, and I have gone forth. Indeed, the prince of Greece will come. Okay, This is an angel talking to Daniel, and he said, I've got to go back and we've got to be a part of the fight against the prince of Persia, the prince of Greece. And he's basically saying, There's an activity involved with other nations in which the angels are taking note and maybe even fighting against. Okay? What is the implication for us today? They're still doing it. it. So what, what is important to recognize? The angels are paying attention to how the nations treat the people of Israel. And that can be that can cannot have been in my lifetime any more relevant than it is today. All you got to do is keep up with some of the headlines of what's going on in our world today about the pro-Palestinian um, 
and and they're you know they have their right to to speak in, on their behalf and I understand that but when they speak against the people of Israel there is going to be consequences to that and our nation the United States of America if we do not stay friendly and helping the people of Israel we will have consequences to suffer as a nation. And unfortunately, some of us who are very supportive of Israel may come under those same consequences because of the nation we live in, the leaders that we have elected, the people in authority over us that are making those decisions, that are making those pushes, they, they are going to bring upon us consequences that are not going to be good. And I know I'm getting on, in a, on a side soapbox here, so let me get back down off that. But go ahead, Pastor Matt. Saying, Help me down. Are you saying we don't want Michael to stand against us? No, absolutely I don't want Michael to stand against me. Do, you, do any of you? I mean, do you, do you agree? Do you, get, do you see where I'm getting that concept or that idea? Because it's critically important. Now, I agree that Israel has, so far as a nation, rejected the Messiah that came for them. But there will come a time during the tribulation period where they will mourn for the one whom they pierced. And they will turn to the Christ. They will recognize. And in the meantime, we need to be supportive of that nation and encourage them to Jesus Christ. but understanding that they are still God's chosen people. Amen? Go ahead, Denise, you had, you had something you want to throw in there? Directing that, absolutely. Absolutely. Isn't it, isn't it great God that we serve? Amen. Well, and, and notice too, it says the prince of Persia, the prince of Greece, and who, who is that, probably? That's either the leadership as in a manly terms or in human terms, or is there possibly a demon affecting those nations, causing them to, to move towards or in, um, to, to trouble the people of Israel? And they're fighting a, a, a spiritual battle. And that's what it ultimately boils down to, folks, is a spiritual battle that's going on. All right? Okay. So they're watching. Not that God needs them to report to him, but the angels are watching. All right? Point K. They may be involved in healing. Now, this may or may not be a stretch, but if you go to John chapter 5, some of us will recognize this um, account of what's been taking place. And remember I said at the beginning that some of these points were hard to be dogmatic about altogether in the first place, but John chapter 5, verses 2 through 4. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethsaida, 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 all right, whatever. <laughs> I'm getting tongue-tied. 
having five porches, and in these lay a great multitude of sick people behind, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Okay? What's the implication? That at God's direction and by God's power, the angel stirred the water and the first one in got to be healed or was healed. Now, was the angel healing? No, it was the power of God that heals. But the angel was the um, conduit, if you would, that God used at that time. Does that make any kind of sense? Like I said, it, I wouldn't be 100% dogmatic on it, but I think it makes total sense. Okay? In Matthew chapter 28... Who was it that rolled the stone away from the tomb? It was an angel. So they were involved in the resurrection of Jesus, not so much in the resurrection as in displaying the resurrection or the empty tomb, if you will, to the ladies who went there. Matthew chapter 28, verse 2. Someone want to read that? There you go. Okay? So an angel involved in the rolling away of the stone. Now, here's a fun one, and we're going to talk a little bit this about protection. Okay, angels protect. Second Kings chapter 6, verse 17. Anybody remember the context there? Yep, somebody remembers. Elisha, right? Okay, and he's, his servant has come to him, and his servant is so upset because they're surrounded, and there's, there's all of these warriors out there, and, and how can you be so calm, Elisha? And so what does Elisha do? He prays that his servant's eyes would be opened, and what does he see? Horses and chariots of fire, right? On the whole hillside. A whole bunch of angels ready to protect Elisha and his servant. Okay? How about Psalm 34, 7? Psalm 34, 7 says, The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. In other words, a, a, a terminology of protection. Okay? In Matthew chapter 2, verse 13, we see that the angels protected Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus. How did he do that? He came and told them, you need to go to Egypt. It's time for a vacation. Get out of where you're at. Why? Because Herod's soldiers were coming to kill the the infants, right? Right? So the angels gave them a message, said, get thee out of here. (laughs) All right, so the grand question, do we have a guardian angel? Do I have my own personal guardian angel? Well, my mama, who raised three boys who were very active outdoors type of kids, would have said, absolutely, there's a guardian angel. There's no other way that these boys survived. Okay? But the evidence of whether we have a personal 
guardian angel is not strong. Matthew chapter 18, verse 10. Let's look at it briefly. Does anybody remember what this one's about? It's about children, right? So the disciples have been worried about the children. And um, Jesus says, Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. All right? So the implication there is at least that there is a group of angels interceding on the count of the little children. That they have direct access to God, and if God says, they're abusing my, chi- my children, go and take care of them, angel. They will go and take care of them, Okay? Some use that as evidence of saying we have a specific guardian angel. Does it say a specific one? It says my angels. So I'm not sure we can say that, all right? How about Psalm 91, 11, and 12? Go ahead, someone gets there. Psalm 91, 11, and 12. 91, 11, and 12. Okay, but again, it doesn't say a specific angel, does it? It's a plural angels. And of course, we know that as a, um, a prophecy type of one, or one that um, Satan actually quoted to Jesus to try and get him to um, fall to the temptation he was putting before him in the, in the wilderness. Okay? Acts 12, 13 through 16, we already looked at this briefly. This was Peter after he got out of prison, knocking on the door, and she says, Peter's angel, or she makes reference to Peter's angel. Okay? How she got to that, I, I don't know. So, so what I would say to you is there's not a strong case for an individual guardian angel, but listen to what John Calvin said. It says, whether or not each believer has a single angel assigned to him, For his defense, I dare not positively affirm. In other words, he wasn't sure about. This indeed I hold for certain, that each of us is cared for not by one angel merely, but that all all with one consent watch our safety. Then he adds, after all, it is not worthwhile anxiously to investigate a point which does not greatly concern us. If anyone does not think enough to know that all the orders of the heavenly hosts are perpetually watching for his safety, I do not see what he could gain by knowing that he has one angel as a special guardian. What does that say? God loved us so much, he has a whole group of angels watching over us. Why would we worry about whether we had one single angel um, Assigned to us specifically. Right? Anybody agree with that or like that idea? Think about that. There is a whole host of heavenly angels that God could send to help me in a situation if if he chose to do so. That's how much he loves you. Amen? All right. They may be involved in judgment. 
And, and I say maybe, and I'm, I'm talking in the current state, okay? Acts chapter 12, uh, verses 22 and 23, we see the account where Herod is smote by the angel because he does not give God the credit due him. Someone want to read that, Acts chapter 12? Okay, that should be a stern warning to every single pastor or church leader or anyone else that they should not be so bold or arrogant as to take the place of God himself. God does not take kindly to that. And the people were heralding Herod. There's, there was a fun mix of words that I didn't <laughs> plan on. As God rather than man, and God didn't tolerate it, did he? And so he placed the judgment upon them. How about Second Thessalonians 1, 7 through 8? Someone want to read that one quick? I want to get to the last point here. So, Second Thessalonians 1, 7 through 8. Okay, so next week we're going to look into this a little bit more, but the angels are involved in the judgment of man. And they're going to come with Jesus in judgment. Now I'm going to mention one more before we get to point O because I want to spend just a moment in point O. The other one is 1 Chronicles 21.16. And I will just kind of give you the background story here. David had gone against the will of God in ordering a census, a census of the people. And in carrying that out, God got offended and he sent an angel to destroy Jerusalem. And yet, as David saw it coming, he prayed and and God relented and did not destroy. But David recognized that he had offended God and God was sending an angel to judge. I mean, you could also apply the same thing to the angel that killed the firstborn of Egypt. Okay? And we'll see next week when we look at angels in the future, almost all through the book of revelation we see angels involved in the in the judgment portion all right now point o this is one that i tell you i have learned more about in in this study than i ever knew before and i wish that i had understood this decades ago i mean i always knew the context of of the the idea that angels carry the dead believers to heaven but if i had a i mean i've done literally dozens of funerals and if i'd had a better handle on this concept i could have ministered more so to people than than i was able to look at psalm 23 4 for me Everybody should probably be able to quote this. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Okay? When you look at the 23rd Psalm, you see a progression. And at verse 4, there's a progression that seems to take place if you apply it to the idea of life, death, and then future presence of God. That verse 4 is a transition of death, right? 
And who does he say is with you through that valley? Not around the valley, not over the valley, but through the valley. I am with you. Okay? Let's add uh, Luke 16, 22. This is the one that we look at probably most often for this concept. Jesus is giving us a, an account of one who has died. The beggar. In verse 22, Jesus says, So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. Okay, so the beggar was, was representative of a believer who was carried by the angels into the presence of God, right? But what does it say about the rich man? The rich man also died and was buried. There was no angel had to take him to the grave, right? But an angel had to take him, take the beggar to heaven. And of course, we know the interaction that went on there between the rich man and Lazarus or the beggar. Okay? How about Jude chapter, or Jude, yeah, chapter. Verse 9. Okay? So we've already talked a little bit about this verse, but notice that Michael the archangel was in charge of seeing Moses' body into the presence of God. Okay? If you add to that, Jesus himself was taken up, the scripture tells us. Now, wouldn't it be interesting? I mean, wouldn't wouldn't the thought be if it was just Jesus going, he would go? But instead, the scripture tells us, both in Luke 24, I think it is, in Acts chapter 1, verse 9, that he was taken up. Now, who would take, take him up? Could Jesus have gone on his own? Yes, I think he probably could have. Absolutely could have. But there was something there that escorted him or took him with them. Okay? Now, why on the earth would it be important for us to realize that angels take us to heaven? Any comments or any, any ideas? It's comforting. It absolutely is comforting. But why, why would that be necessary? Why would that be important? They know the route. That's important to have somebody guiding us. Okay. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. Let me start with verse 1. And you he made active who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Listen to that. The prince of the power of this air. The spirit who knows, who now works in the sons of disobedience. Is it possible when our soul transitions through death into heaven at this time in history that we need the escort because of the dangers of going through the area, the dominion, of the prince of the power of this air. Okay, don't misunderstand me. I'm not going to say that the demons could stop you from getting there. Okay, 
No, no, that's, that's fine. I, I get, and I'm, I'm glad you called me out on that. When you are saved, when you turn your life over to Christ, you're saved. And to be absent from the body is to be where? Present with the Lord. Okay? And there is no power of this earth, of Satan himself or any of his demons, that can prevent you from that destination. But isn't it comforting to know that we'll be escorted, maybe that would be the way to put it, into the presence of God by angels themselves? Yeah, and, and that might be one way to think about it, but, but I think the, the, what I, the point I was trying to make is that God loves you so much that he wants to see you without inhibition or without somebody picking at you through the air to his presence. Now, this all takes place probably in nanoseconds. It's, it's, it's not something that takes, even though, you know, there was a battle in heaven for, for three weeks trying to prevent Gabriel from getting to Daniel with the message. I'm sorry, Kathy, go ahead. Well, that's kind of what I was just going to say. There is a battle going on in heaven. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah, we get to go around the minefields and all of because we got an escort, right? Okay, I'm sorry. I've, I've read the last quote in a book um, called Some More Angels by a, an author, Larry Libby, and I don't know anything about him, but he said, God wants you home so much, he'll send his own angel to meet you, and don't be surprised if that angel is wearing a big smile. Amen. Amen. Father, thank you so much for your word and for uh, our help to understand the thing of angels, your creation. So, Father God, we, we love you, we thank you, and we just revel in your love for us. And we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.